Our scripture for today is Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Philippians 1, 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. All right, good morning, y'all. You're a good-looking bunch. It's really good to see you. Uh, I'm, I'm really grateful to be here this morning. I know you haven't seen a lot of, of my family. Um, my wife's a nurse, and uh, we got little kids and stuff. So, But we're, we're hoping that that's going to continue to change and that we'll, we'll be able to be involved with you more and more. We miss you a lot, and we're all doing uh, really well. Um, but today, uh, the text comes from Philippians, okay? So I hope you have your Bible open, because we're going to look carefully at some of the verses there in Philippians chapter 1. Uh, and this, there's several reasons for turning to Philippians this morning. Uh, one is that I've been doing quite a bit of writing this summer for a 10-week study on Philippians for college students. Um, I work with college students in discipleship, and so we're preparing a, a study uh, on that for this semester, um, the second is that this book, in going deeply into it, has been very encouraging for me. It's been something that I've needed over the last few months. And we collectively here at Redeemer need the encouragement that comes from this letter as well. So just to tell you where the message is going this morning, I'm going to tell you how Paul's situation while he's writing this letter uh, has been a comfort to me, and it should be a comfort to us. And then I'm going to look at Paul's prayer at the end of this section in verses 9 through 11 to see how it challenges us to live out the Christian life. I hope you're somewhat familiar with the themes of this book. Things like inner joy, joy and you, joy, rejoicing is used at least 13 times in this book. Contentment, humility, endurance. All of these are incredibly powerful, practical things that we need in our life. For all of its positivity, it's easy to overlook that this was written during Paul's imprisonment in Rome. Uh, because of his situation, in a very special way, the book of Philippians reveals the mind of Paul. And he shows a mind that is filled with peace while facing the unknown. He's writing this letter during the last years of his life, not knowing when he woke up each day whether it would be his last, whether he would stand before an executioner that day. 
except for Timothy and a few old friends and Epaphroditus, who is going to be carrying this letter to the Philippian church, Paul was very alone, very alone. It's not usually recognized how poorly received Paul was in Rome. When we read the book of Romans, we would think that the letter, uh, that the church receiving one of the greatest works of Christian literature would have nothing but gratitude. But this wasn't the case. Luke tells us that when Paul arrived in Rome in Acts, that he was received by, by people. People came out of the city to greet him, much like we would greet a celebrity at an airport. But as time went on, he, he went to prison. And then two years passed, a little more. Church leaders in Rome, they began to grow jealous of Paul's reputation, which was much broader than their city. And they, they began to, to be jealous of uh, his theology, his ability to, to teach. And they were wanting to argue different points of his theology and Christian living. They debated it more and more. Can you imagine that? Uh, the pastors neglected Paul during his imprisonment. And then many of the other church leaders left him as well. And soon, Paul was almost forgotten. Paul wrote to the Philippians that there were jealous Christians in Rome, Christians who preached Christ out of envy and rivalry and selfish ambitions. He alludes to this friction in other books as well. When he writes uh, to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he tells of the difficulty that Onesiphorus had in finding him. He says this, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. Think of it. The greatest apostle in a Roman prison, deserted by most of his friends and almost forgotten. And yet he writes with joy and confidence in the riches that belong to not just him, but all believers in Christ Jesus. That is an eternal perspective that we desperately need, especially these days. Because if I'm honest with you, this continues to be a very isolating time for me in my life. And I'm not just talking about not being able to see friends and family as much as I would like. Um, work, I, I, I have my office, it's just me. I used to go to the coffee shop and see people. Can't really do that now. And so I've been very isolated in my work. But more than that, it seems like every day I'm surprised by the words and actions of people that I love and leaders that I respect. This causes a deep heartache. It challenges me. And I feel some, just a little bit, of Paul's pain in chapter 2 of Philippians. He says this of Timothy. I have no one else like-minded, who genuinely cares about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But without fail, as I, I feel all of these pressures, this heartache, but without fail, God uses his people to meet my discouragements head on. Much like Paul, I can say, I, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. And not just you, church family, but I'm talking about biblical leadership that I see in local pastors here in Starkville, uh, the newsletters that I receive from my missionary friends about how the gospel is advancing in countries that are also affected by what's going on here in the States. 
as I talk to college students about their victories over sin and the gospel conversations that they're having with their friends, I'm encouraged by all of these things. I'm encouraged by how the church is still at work. And there are people who are diligently serving others in Christ Jesus. And this shouldn't surprise any of us because the gospel loves to advance down the road of adversity. This is how it works. Just look at Paul. He's saying things that are going, he says things are going according to plan in prison with a, with a government opposing him and with his Christian family forgetting him. Everything's going exactly according to plan. He rejoices and he writes joy-filled letters to other Christians to encourage them and counsel them. If we follow his example and we are tethered to gospel, the gospel advancing and not just our comforts, then we will have joy in the midst of adversity. So understanding Paul's situation, as you read the rest of Philippians, understanding that situation, it should comfort us and it should encourage us. But also understanding Paul's prayer here at the beginning of the letter should challenge us. It should challenge us. So in verses 9 through 11, Paul tells the Philippian Christians how he's praying for them. Because Paul loves these people, his prayer isn't, God, would you take it easy on them? They've been going through a lot recently. No, he knows that they have been living according to the gospel, but their work, their work is not over. They need to continue in maturity. He wants them to grow. Specifically, he's praying that they would mature and grow in three ways. And these are things that we need to be growing in as well. So these things need to be prayers for us as a church as well. The first thing is that we need a love that never stops growing. We need a love that never stops growing. We pray with Paul that our love will keep growing. This more and more language. Love for whom though? Is this love for God? Is this love for the church? Is this love for those in the world? The answer is yes. Like Paul isn't clear on that for a reason. All of these things should be true. You must grow in your love of God and you must grow in your love of the church and you must grow in your love for those around you. And with these prayers answered, that's what happens. Look carefully though. This is a love that is according to knowledge. You must grow more and more in knowledge. Knowledge here is a special Greek word in the New Testament that specifically applies to spiritual things. Think of the knowledge of God is the word that's used there and religious knowledge. This is a knowledge that only comes through careful study of God's word. God affirms the rational nature of human wisdom. He says we, we can figure things out. He, he affirms our intelligence. But there is particular wisdom that only comes through the Bible. This is a re revealed wisdom of God that comes only through the Bible. That's why it's called a light to our path. It's because things are dark. The Bible is our light. It shows us where to step and where to go. We're told in Deuteronomy 6, the word of God is meant to saturate every part of our life. As we're in our house, as we're talking with our family, as we walk down the road, as we go about our, our daily life, the word of God is meant to be on our minds. So this increasing love must also be discerning, though. Look at that word discerning there. This word points to understanding that comes from the Holy Spirit. Discerning that comes from the Holy Spirit. If we are in Christ, then the Spirit of God is pleased to be in us. This is what God has accomplished through Christ. 
that we now exist in a way that the Spirit of God is a part of us and what we do. This allows for the Spirit of God to be at work reshaping our emotions, our feelings, our actions. And just as the Word of God is a discerner of our thoughts and the intents of our heart, the Holy Spirit enables us to see the love of God and show that love to others. This language of growing love, this more and more language, we can think of it as a water source. Okay, You think of it like a, your water hose or uh, a spring or something like that. It's something that it just, keeps, it just seems like it keeps coming, right? It's supposed to be going more and more and more. But these two things, the knowledge of God and the Holy Spirit's discernment, think of those as valves on that water source, right? The more I learn about God's love, for the lost, and for the church. It it opens up that valve more and more. It allows for this love to flow more and more. The same for the Spirit's counsel. I can be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, learning to listen, learning to obey, and that opens that valve up more and more. Or, I I can ignore the Spirit of God. I, I can ignore the convictions that I have. And that closes that valve more and more. The, the love that God wants to flow out of me, the way, the way Jesus talks in John, that anyone who believes in him, has new life in him, it's like springs of living water now flow from us. But if we are not listening to the Spirit, if we're not in the Word of God, then it's like we're closing those off. It's like we're damming up this spring that comes from us. Finally, the love, the love of God here is supposed to be discriminating. It says it's supposed to be discriminating. We may be able to, to look at this carefully. Discrimination is often used negatively in the English language, but here it's used like the technical word for testing to see if money is counterfeit. You're supposed to be discerning when you look at this. Have a, discern, uh, a discriminating eye. This Greek word for test or approve is also used in Romans 12 and verse 2, where Paul says... Christians are to be renewed by the Holy Spirit so that they may test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So with these three aspects of how this love is supposed to be growing more in mind, look at your life. Call others to look at your life. Is there an ever-increasing love of God and his ways in your life? Is your understanding of God through your knowledge of his word limiting your effectiveness? Are you limited by what you know about God? How, do, how would God have me love people? How, would, how does he want me to see Jesus? How does he want to see me to see my salvation? Maybe because you're, you're limited just in your, your knowledge of, of how he is and how, he, how we should uh, live before him. So meet with someone, read and grow together. This is the model of discipleship as we put the word of God between us in Christian friendship. Does the spirit of God feel distant? I hear this a lot from college students. I just don't feel like God is near. I feel like God doesn't really care about me. You feel like you you misunderstand what this is meant to be like. Maybe you need to make more margin in your life. You need a little more space for prayer. And meditation, just thinking on these things, listening to God's counsel. He's called the counselor. 
Okay, it, it's an interesting thing. I, I get, we've kind of flipped this in our model of counseling, right? Like if we, I go and see a counselor, I'm the one doing all the talking, right? But Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is meant to be the great counselor for us. He's the one who gives the counsel. We need to hear what he has to say. So we need to be quiet and listen and take those matters to heart, try to apply them to our lives. The Christian life must be motivated and informed by love. Paul says, without love, we're just a clanging symbol. I was laughing this morning as I was reading my notes because uh, Elliot has learned how to whistle recently. It's a great joy when your kid learns how to whistle. He's like, Dad, aren't you so proud I can whistle? I'm like, no, because you're not whistling anything. You're just, you're just whistling. Like, to whistle, there's no tune. There, like, uh, it can, it can drive. I remember when Liam learned how to whistle. It's like, great, there, there's another one. Without love, we are like my kids, whistling, just for no reason. This was never intended, this love, this Christian love, is never intended to be just a wishy-washy, undefined, sentimental love. And this, this love that's supposed to be growing in us as Christians, it is bigger love than the motivational wall art that you bought at Hobby Lobby. Like, like this is something that we have to understand and dig into, and it has to be growing. It's backed by the weight of the Bible. This is strong love that's supposed to be exercised carefully. We need this love to be growing more and more. But we also need an authentic life free of hypocrisy. This is the second thing that Paul prays. An authentic life free of hypocrisy. So we pray with Paul in verse 10 that we may be pure and blameless on the day of Jesus Christ. Now this does not mean, this blameless, this pure and blameless, it doesn't mean that we are meant to live perfectly now. None of us will, none of us can. It means that our life must be lived openly before God and others, without hypocrisy. And I know this because Paul uses a great word for pure here. It literally means oven-tested. So in ancient times, the biggest industry of the day was pottery. Pottery varied in quality, just like products do today. The cheapest pottery was thick and solid, and it didn't require a lot of skill to make. Uh, the finest pottery, though, is really thin, so thin that sometimes it would have a bit of transparency to it. Now, fine, uh, fine pottery was very fragile, of course, so it, it cracked very easily. Cracked pottery should have been thrown away, but dishonest dealers would often fill in those cracks with this hardy, pearly wax that would blend in with the rest of the pottery. Now, at a glance, the cracks were practically undetectable. But all you had to do was hold that pottery up to a light source, like a fire or the sun, and those lies would be quickly revealed. This is the word that Paul is using here. Because when we stand before Jesus on the day of judgment and examination, any hypocrisy in your life will be revealed. You can't hide it. That's why Paul is praying that believers would live authentic lives right now. Do, do it now. Because there comes a day where it's all revealed. So why do you hide it now? No one is perfect. Why do we pretend like we are? Why don't we pretend like we have it together? Hypocrisy will stop the love of God flowing from us into our community. 
It's like you know, put it, it's, it's tapping that water source. It's, it's damming up that spring. But an authentic life will be used by God no matter how cracked the pot. Paul says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians, we have this treasure in jars of clay so that this extraordinary power is from God and not from us. He, he says, you got to know that you're, you know what you are. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. Understand what you have. Understand that what you have inside you is extraordinary. Maybe you're just common, but what you have in Christ is extraordinary. Live like today you will stand before King Jesus. And look forward to the day when what is began, uh, what's begun on earth is going to, with all of its imperfections, it's going to be made perfect. One day, the Lord uh, gives us lives. Uh, we, we pray that the Lord would give us lives free of hypocrisy because this is how the, the love of God is going to flow out of us into our community, be increasing in our lives. The third thing that we need, though, is that we need a success that we can't take credit for. We need a success that we can't take credit for. So we pray with Paul that we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The usage of righteousness here, it's not really, it's not referring to the products of internal righteousness, that internal change where, where we have love and joy and patience. Those what we call the fruit of the Spirit. That's an internal righteousness that God is working in us. This is about what's on the outside. This is what's seen on the outside. This is what's seen in our lives. The fruit of righteousness is the fruit that righteousness produces. What we can see. This is to be seen in the innumerable acts of kindness that, and service that every believer in Jesus Christ is called to. It should be visible what you believe by how you treat people and the things you go out of your way to do. But these only come through depending on Christ. These are not things that you're going to be able to just muster up your own strength and your own positive attitude and your own love for people to go out of your way and do. This is something that is outside of us and that we need Jesus to do through us. It comes from depending on Christ. Like in John 15 where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You can't, can't do anything without me. You can't produce any good works without me. Nothing good comes from us trying to accomplish the things of God independent of Jesus Christ. Trying to do good this way, it, it's like a kid who's been playing out in the mud instead of picking up his room like he was supposed to. Suddenly he's filled with all this conviction. Oh, like, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm going to go clean up my room. So he just goes straight in and starts picking up his room, picking up all these toys. And he's so proud because he doesn't want his mom to be upset. Everywhere he's been, though, there's mud. He's only made the problem worse. Even if he wanted to do good, he's only made things worse. We must be washed by Jesus before we can begin to produce the kind of results that God desires. We cannot do this independent of Jesus. Paul's prayer, our prayer, is that if we are living open, sincere lives, what is true internally will be visible externally. This is what Paul begs of the church. 
that, th- that they would be authentic, that they would understand what, what God has done for them and what he wants them to, to do, and that they would grow in this maturity so that they, they will be true Christians, because that's what the world needs. They need Christians to live like Christians, dependent on Jesus, dependent on the gospel, with full conviction of, of the love that God has shown for them and the love that God has for the world and, and how they are meant to participate in that. We want this. We need this. We want to speak well with our coworkers. We want to lead our families. We want to disciple our children. But the ability to do these things only comes through Jesus. Through Jesus. One last note as we close. Christ's parable about the vine and the gardener makes one more point about fruit bearing. One that we often overlook. Not only must we be joined to Christ in order to be fruitful, but we also need to be pruned. In John 15, 2, he says this, Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more. These fruitful lives that come from being with Christ, there's not just this life of growth and comfort. Uh, I'm I'm a fledgling horticulturist these days. In the spring, I put a lot of plants and flowers in front of my house, and uh, I like a lot of them, but I've had to learn some things, especially about rose bushes. I got some really nice rose bushes, but you have to prune those things. Every time a flower comes up, you get a day or two where you're like, wow, that's beautiful, and then you got to cut it. If you want more flowers, you have to prune it back to a certain spot in a certain way, and I have to look at how I want it to grow. I don't want it to grow onto my porch. I want to kind of make it grow out, so I'm going to prune these a little shorter and these a little longer. Because if you don't, you end up with rose bushes like I have in the back of my house from the previous owners of the house. They're just like one stick that just grew straight up. They were, they were never pruned, so they never grew. They never grew in the, the manner that they were intended. They only produced maybe one flower every now and then instead of, instead of many. This, this is us, and we, we miss this when he says, if you, if you want to produce more fruit, then I'm going to prune you. There's going to be some discomfort in this because each of us holds to things that God will remove so that we will serve him better. We're holding on to it. It's something in our life that we think we need, that that comforts us, that we really like. And this cutting may hurt. You may think that God is hurting you. And there are people all around us who feel this way. They're, They're questioning God in these moments. Why is God doing this? Why is he removing these things from my life? If they're, if they're Christians, there, there's a reason. We can, there's a biblical reason behind this. Because he wants them to do the will of the Father. He wants them to produce in a manner that, is, that honors God, that brings glory to God. It's not going to be comfortable, and the, but the result is going to be good for you. And it will result in good works done by Jesus Christ in you to the glory and praise of God. I, I ask that you just look at these verses in 9 through 11. You pray them for yourself. You pray them for one another. Because I, I need these things. I need you to pray. As Paul prayed for these, these Christians in Philippi, I need you to be praying these for Daniel Bray as he starts 
you know, a new semester with college students and all these. Let's be mindful of these things and pray for one another. Pray for the, the church as a whole, that we as Christians would be growing more and more in this love, that we would understand it more and more so that we are able to do all of these things through Christ, to the glory of God and praise of his name. Pray with me, please. God, I pray that this will be on our hearts for one another. I pray that it may be answered in the lives of your people. I pray that all of us will see that your, your love wants to flow from us. Our, our attitudes need to change. That Help us to remove hypocrisy from our lives. Help us to, to live authentic, genuine lives. And God, help us to, to be mindful of the ways that, that we're trying to do the work ourselves. That we're trying to say the right things of our, our own wisdom. Or we're trying to lean on our own strength and our own understanding, Father. And help us to move away from that to more dependence on you. Help us do that so that those around us can see and feel Christian love. Help us to give up doing good independent of Jesus. And may we pursue authenticity that brings glory and praise to you, Father, even today. In Jesus' name, amen.